Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here. I've got Kurt Mortensen on the line who is super anxious to tell us about how much he hated Valentine's Day and what a scam it is. I wouldn't go that far, but welcome, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Come on. I'm poking at you here to complain about Valentine's Day, and you're not taking the bait. No, I got my points. I played the game. I got the flowers and the chocolate and the meal and... You know, I, I, I did what I was supposed to do and, and got the points. I don't know about you. Did you uh, have a good Valentine's? Uh, I really don't like that holiday, and I'm lucky because my wife doesn't like it either. We went to, to a movie and to In-N-Out Burger, and we were both perfectly happy with it. Well, that'll work. But then you got to be careful. If they say it's not important, you don't have to give me a gift. Sometimes that means something else. But I guess you've known her long enough to where, hey, In-N-Out and a good movie and some popcorn, you're good to go. Yeah, I've been observing. I mean, you know, we've got the new baby, so the the, the babysitter thing for Valentine's is quite complicated. But, uh, you know, it's been a few days. I, I haven't felt any ramifications. You know, I, I don't think it was a trap. I think I literally got away with it. Well, that's good. Not everybody did. I've talked to a few people that did not get away with it because they didn't want to play the game. Can't play the game. It's a hallmark holiday. It's all made up. But sometimes in life, you got to play the game because if that's what other people expect, you got to play the game. Yeah, you do. It's frustrating, that's for sure. But it, it is. It's just easier sometimes to just play. Just get it over with. Do it. Put a smile on your face. Goes back to the old law of expectations. So you have to figure out that expectation. A lot of people don't even realize that frustration, when people are frustrated, it comes from unmet expectations, whether they're spoken or unspoken, whether you know them or not, it doesn't matter. When you have unmet expectations, that triggers frustration, which can quickly trigger anger. And people yeah. don't even realize what that is because they never taken a human emotion class, which they should have to understand, okay, this is what anger means. This is what frustration means. This is what resentment yeah. means. And one of these days, we need to have a whole podcast on how to persuade with the different human emotions. We certainly should do that. That would be very useful. Always in play. Always in play. That's what we're talking about, guys. The lady tells you, no, you don't have to do anything for Valentine's Day. If you're wise, you know that that is not true. Something has to be done. <laughs> yeah, whether it's a negotiation, whether it's what you expect when you go into a doctor's office and it's painted black and you prefer white, whether you expect to get flowers or chocolate. Expectation's a powerful thing that we've talked about. Some people put their foot down, I'm not going to play the game. Again, if that expectation's there, you have to play the game. It's part of persuasion and influence. Yeah, you're going to get torched if you don't play. Play nice, everybody. Don't take your ball <laughs> and go home. Come on, keep the rules. What are you thinking? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you had a pretty interesting article that you wanted to talk about today, and I know that when I divulge the title of these articles, people do scratch their heads going, <laughs> what are we going to talk about? And today we're going to talk about ceiling height, the, the height of the ceiling in your office or your retail space or wherever it is, because apparently it matters and we have to play the game. So what, what do you got for us there? Well, we've always known, we've done a lot of seminars and we've talked to a lot of people in seminars and we know that the way you arrange the seats changes influence, the entrance, the hallway, all these things come into play. And we've always known that ceiling height comes into play. And I found an article the other day that actually 
supported this. This was in the Journal of Consumer Research by Dr. Joan Myers-Levy. And a variety of research out there has found that ceiling height ranked among the top three architectural details that influence consumers' psychological well-being. In the low ceiling, we feel trapped versus bigger ceiling, we feel more open. Even home development companies maintain that homes with higher ceilings induce clear and improved thinking, more energy, and better health among residents. How wild is that? Even airline manufacturers know that the ceiling height of an airplane is in direct correlation to the person's experience on that airplane. So there's something about space, about ceiling height, about feeling open versus feeling closed in changes the way we think and how we process information. In fact, there's reason to believe that high versus a low ceiling height may activate the concepts of freedom versus confinement. Hmm. And there's just something about that. All these things come into play, which is our big message, that the majority of persuasion influence comes from a subconscious trigger. You might walk into a building and the low ceilings or the colors might make you feel awkward or uncomfortable or confined, and that hurts the ability of someone to persuade and influence. Hmm. That's so true. I At my house, we have uh, big vaulted ceilings on the main floor. We have a basement, and the ceilings are 10 feet tall, even finished. And the basement's nothing special. It's a basement, right? You know, we've got a TV and some rooms, and that's kind of what's going on in the basement. But whenever people that haven't been to our house come over and they go down to the basement, they almost universally talk about, wow, I just love your basement. It is the best. But if you were to put a stat sheet down of what my basement has versus the average basement. It's not like I've got a, a pool table and an indoor swimming pool and all kinds of stuff going on. There's nothing really logically special about it. They always say that ceilings and just feel so open. And, and I think it really is triggering that positive psychological reaction that you're talking about. And that's huge for basements. If you could have those 10 foot ceilings, a lot of light coming in, a walk outdoor, all those things increase that ability for people to feel comfortable and like it. In fact, one study shows that low ceilings may encourage quieter, more restricted play, while higher ceilings, those that are above eight feet, foster more active free play. And there's just something about that, about the heights and the angles. And so we have to look at the expectations. We have to look at ceiling height of all things. Isn't that amazing? Ceiling height affects your ability to persuade and influence. So for those that are looking for a home or doing seminars or talking to people, there's something about that higher ceiling that makes a huge difference in getting people to be more open and more comfortable and to think bigger than those lower ceilings. Yeah. Now, if you're trying to irritate somebody, drop the ceilings to about five feet, <laughs> have your negotiation. They'll feel tense and awkward the whole time. And if that's your goal, hey, go for the low ceilings. That's right. That's right. And, and most people listening to this probably don't really have much control over that, especially if you're in a big city, you work downtown, and you know, what are you going to do about it? You know, the boss says, here's where our lease is, here's where you're working. That's what you got to deal with. But if you own your own business, next time your lease is up or something like that, you really ought to look for something that's got those taller ceilings because it's just indisputable scientific evidence that if it's tall, you're going to create more freedom. And that's certainly what how you want your people to feel when they come in to do business with you. I agree. And there's a few options. If you know that it's a bad, dark, low ceiling room, maybe you want to meet someplace else. Maybe you want to meet for lunch. Maybe you want to go for a walk. Maybe do the negotiation someplace else, at least get the relationship going. So if you know that you have a bad spot, it might be 
advantageous to meet at a neutral location or their location where it's more open and it's more conducive for a negotiation. Yeah. You and I learned this the hard way. I don't know if you remember, but we went and did a seminar once and this was in Las Vegas. It was a new hotel that we tried and these things were uh, they had to be nine foot tall ceilings, which for a hotel ballroom is pretty bad, right? I remember going in there and that whole seminar was just kind of a bust. It felt tense the whole time. It felt crammed. And we learned after that that there was another hotel in Vegas where we do these things. And the ceilings in this place were probably 30 feet high, right? They were just gigantic. Yeah. And it, it just felt like so much better of an atmosphere to do events there. Wasn't that the place that had that dark, long hallway and the lighting was very poor and everything was going against us on that one just because we weren't to the point where we really understood the importance of lighting and ceiling height. Well, it's a whole science too. Booking a, a hotel remotely when you're going to put on some kind of a sales event, you've got to persuade people because these event planners at these hotels, I mean, they're clueless to that, right? To them, it's how many chairs you want and what are your dates. And that's all they think about. But for you is the person putting on the event, you've got to think about the first impressions of the people getting to the room, uh, what it's set up like, how the reception area is, the tables of your registration and the feel. And, and you just, you don't have any control over that. So I learned that I was asking them all these questions, these event planners, and I had to just train them on how I needed my seminar to go and, you know, send me pictures of the hallway. I want to see what it looks like because, wow, it really logistically throws things off, but more importantly, psychologically, when you're off to a bad start. And that's what Kurt is talking about, everybody, is if you're going to meet somebody for the first time, you've got to put on that first impression. And the physical space that you work within isn't very conducive to a good first impression. you got to move the location of that first meeting to whatever extent you can. Then once you have a relationship, people are going to be more forgiving if the physical space isn't as ideal down the road. That's absolutely correct. And again, they don't get it. When you ask them, well, are there pillars in the room, and how high is the ceiling, and can we have music, and let's look at the arrangement of the chairs, and how many chairs do you need? They just want to fill up the room, and they really don't understand those psychological triggers that happen all around us. Yeah, exactly. They're not trained for it. Hey, they booked the room. They made their money. They don't care. If you get up there and it's a bust, it doesn't matter to them. <laughs> That's true. Uh, except for the fact that I will not be back again. Is where it matters. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, we're going to start naming names of these hotels that you should never go to. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll name a good one. You know what I really loved was the the Westin there in Las Vegas, just off of the Strip on Flamingo. Um, yeah, remember that yeah. one? It's close enough to the Strip to where people can walk there if they want to, but then you're keeping that distraction away to keep people there to learn and it was always fun when we did events in Vegas. It was a three-day event. And my favorite thing when people say, I was just going to come for the first day and play, but you got me to stay for all three days. That was <laughs> my goal, to get them to stay, to realize, hey, this is important information. Yeah, yeah, you, you trick them because people want to go to Vegas. They want to go, but uh, they want to play while they're there. So it's a, a delicate line that you're walking. <laughs> it's true. So everybody, we wanted to get into more of this negotiation thing. That's a scientific way of, of saying it today, because that's what Valentine's Day kind of is. <laughs> I guess it depends if your first date or not, or your 10th date, or you've been married for 30 years. There's, there's posturing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you got to keep it in mind. And there's some old, old school stuff out there, as we've talked about before. And I, I think in the next couple of episodes, we're going to really dive into what Kurt calls the negotiations, the dirty deeds. But today... The Dirty Deeds is more focused on how to defend against 
shady tactics that people may use on you. So definitely stay tuned for that podcast. It's going to be coming up in a few episodes. But today it's more of, it's a new world of negotiating. And things have changed. How things are done are slightly different. Granted, there are techniques that have been in place since the cavemen that still work and always will. But with technology, with an increasingly skeptical and educated consumer, there are things that that have changed. And we want to address some of those on today's episode, correct? Yeah, correct. Negotiation is a power tool. It's a different form of persuasion and influence. And here's how I define it. I always say persuade first, negotiate second. Because persuasion, you bring someone to your point of view. Negotiation is a give, take, give, take, and you meet somewhere in the middle. So a lot of negotiators just go right to the negotiation where if you can bring someone right to your point, why would you negotiate? And that's important to understand. Negotiation is almost a lower form of persuasion sometimes. Or we can say negotiations where you have two persuaders versus persuasion a lot of times a persuader and a prospect. And we talked earlier about expectations and playing the game. And a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to give my final number. I'm not going to play this negotiation game. Well, if the other side's expecting to play the game and they've come with their number that's really high or really low, you have to play the game. I've seen this so many times in real estate investing. When you teach real estate investors, you say, look, you have to play the game. Like, well, no, here's my offer. And a lot of times the people will give an offer and it gets accepted and People are like, wait a minute, that was too easy. We didn't negotiate. They got their gloves on, they're ready to negotiate, and you accept the first offer or they accept your first offer too fast. A lot of times it builds remorse or builds a little distance to where if they're coming to negotiate, whether you want to or not, you've got to play the game, you've got to meet those expectations, and you have to negotiate. What are some of the common games that people are expecting to play? Well, they're expecting people to come in high or really low. They're expecting to make you work for it or you have to work for it. They're expecting more resistance. They're expecting you maybe to hold your cards really tight because they're doing the same thing. And it depends on the person and the personality, but bottom line, they're expecting to negotiate. And if you accept the offer too fast, it makes a huge difference in the negotiation. So you have to realize that if they give you an offer and you accept it, and they were wanting to negotiate. Now, even though it's a win-win for both parties, that's fine. Even though it's a win-win for you, they're going to like, oh, wait a minute. That was too easy. We didn't work for it. Maybe I'm getting taken advantage of it. I didn't ask for enough or I didn't do this. And all of a sudden, they're just going through their brain. So even though the first offer is acceptable, you've got to go back and forth. You've got to think about it. Mm, I don't know. What about this? Have you thought about this? What about this interest rate? Then both sides will be more satisfied. I agree. Because that's true. It's if you accept an offer right out of the chute and nobody worked for it, they could literally be less satisfied with that offer than an offer that was worse for them numerically that they had to fight for. That's exactly correct. You even see this in the courtroom. We know that lawyers that can say, look, they did this, this, and this, and reveal everything all up front, say, look, guilty, is not as successful as a lawyer that helps the jury realize for themselves little piece at a time, little piece at a time, little piece at a time to where they're more convinced because they've convinced themselves they've worked towards it versus the person telling them everything they need to do right up front versus working for the answer. I read a John Grisham novel. I can't remember which one it was, but his novels are all about attorneys. And a particular attorney had inherited a client that had a settlement coming to him from an insurance company and or they were going to be going to court. And the attorneys for the insurance company called him and made him an offer. And, and I always appreciate Grisham's honesty about the legal industry. He just said, you know, I did what was standard and I counteroffered three times what their offer was, leading you to believe that 
for many attorneys, there may be just a standard of whether it's logical to or not. They just immediately three times encounter, right? And we're not true with the insurance industry. They're going to go really low. You're going to have to go back and forth and back and forth. That's the game. Okay, granted, you might not want to play it, but if they're playing, you've got to play too because if you don't play the game, you can't win. Yeah. You know, I've heard insurance companies too that as a routine practice, I could be wrong here. This is just what I've heard because that's why you turn, tune into the podcast. You want to know what Steve's heard. But, <laughs> that's right. Uh, that, that they just will routinely deny claims that are – totally should be paid because they know that a certain amount of people will just walk away. They'll just go, okay, they denied it. I got to go. They have many denied stamps, whether they read it or not, but they get a lot of use out of those stamps. Do you want to hear a pretty funny story about denied stamps? I promise it'll be worth it. All right, go for it. And and if you come to the table negotiating this way, that's why it's, it's, you got to treat people right. This can happen, but a friend of our family owned a school. Well, it's not necessarily a school. It's a, a program where people could send their kids, and these kids, maybe they've got drug problems or big-time attitude problems. It's typically for really wealthy families that don't want to put up with their problem children anymore. <laughs> no other way to say it. And so a lot of these times, these schools were in the desert in the southwestern United States where it was really hot and stuff. So kids would be discouraged from just walking out and leaving. So as you can imagine, they had to carry a lot of insurance. You've got a bunch of kids on site, all some with some drug problems and things. It's going to be a heavily insured operation. Well, apparently one day something happened where they had to file a claim with their insurance company. And I don't know what it was, but our friend of the family, we'll call him Bob, was under the impression that this was a relatively routine insurance claim. Fill out the paperwork, send it in, get the money. Uh, There's no debate that this is covered. So they do it, and they get a couple weeks later a response back with a stamp on it that says denied in red letters. And he's going, well, this is ridiculous. So he has his receptionist or his assistant or whoever resubmit the claim. Hey, send that in again. That must be a mistake. So they they do it. They send it back, and it comes back a few weeks later. Hey, denied. You're not getting your claim here. So he's, of course, furious, stewing about this for a few days, thinking, should I call my lawyer? What should I do? And... All of a sudden, a check shows up from the insurance company for the claim. And he's wondering, hey, what happened here? Why did this check all of a sudden arrive? I guess they must have had a change of heart or there was a mistake like I thought there should have been. So they deposit the check. Well, a few days after that, another letter arrives that says, hey, on claim 10574, we inadvertently submitted payment that that claim should have been denied. If you have cashed the check, you owe us the funds, send it back yada yada right so the secretary goes to him and says what do you want me to do with this and he sits there and he thinks and he goes i want you to go down to the office supply store i want you to buy a big red stamp that says denied (laughs) (laughs) and stamp that on the letter and send it back (laughs) so sweet justice right there sweet justice yeah yeah (laughs) do unto others people do unto others message of the day everyone go buy a denied stamp (laughs) yeah and use it to your own advantage. When you get your mortgage statement next month, stamp denied on it and send it back. <laughs> yeah, that might not work so well for you. Yeah, you didn't hear that here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say it would work. I, it would be fun, though. Oh, that would be fun. That is Yeah, true. it would be fun. <laughs> well, cool. Anything you want to add on the negotiation front, Kurt, because we've got a ninja to cover? A couple things, just yeah. real fast. 
My favorite thing with negotiation is you have to understand about emotions and humans. You're dealing with humans. And the old Chinese proverb that says, a man that strikes first admits his ideas have given out. Meaning when people attack you and go after you, the negotiation isn't going how they planned or how they thought. And that's usually because they didn't prepare or they don't understand both sides. Remember, win-win does not mean equal splits. It just means you could still win with a 10% piece of the pie. But we're... A big challenge, big blunder, big change in the world of persuasion and negotiation is understanding the position versus the problem. That's important. Why are they concerned about price? You're fighting over price, but is that the real issue? And that's what you have to understand. Everyone fights over that position versus really asking the questions and finding out, is that really the problem? And some of my favorite stories are the two twin-year-old girls, right? They're fighting over the last orange. And the mom comes down and sees the fight. It's the last orange. And, of course, the mom cuts the orange in half and gives each girl the orange because their position is they want the orange. So the first girl peels the orange, throws the orange peel away, eats the orange. The second twin girl peels the orange, throws the orange away, and keeps the peel for a cooking project. Because the problem was one wanted the peel, one wanted the orange. But they just went right to looking at that position versus asking the questions, well, why do you want the orange? Or the person that goes in the car dealership. Well, I want a black Mustang. Well, we only have white. And they walk away. Well, why do you want it in black? Well, it gets fewer tickets. That's true <laughs> about white cars. And so we never ask a question. Someone comes in, I want to move in the fourth floor. We don't have any apartments on the fourth floor. And they walk away. Well, why do you want something on the fourth floor? Well, my best friend lives there. Well, we have two available on the fifth floor. So you always get stuck on price or that position versus finding out what that true problem is. Here's another Example, I was coaching a student. They were trying to get a, a raw piece of land. And the position was, let's just round up a number, $500,000, $500,000, $500,000. only worth four fifty, four sixty at the most. Of course, everyone lowballs, 410, 420, 450, for this. No, 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 because the position was 500. No one bothered to ask. So we coached the student, okay, this is what you do. This is how you ask. This is how you do it to find out that this gentleman was going to retire in 10 years. 500000 was what he needed to finish his retirement. Came in, said put $100,000 down with a balloon payment in five years for the rest. Win-win situation. They found out what the problem was versus fighting on position. So if people can really figure out, okay, why do they want that interest rate? Why do they want that amount? Why are they looking for that? Why do they need that time frame? Ask the right questions and quit fighting on the position of money or whatever the position is and ask the right questions and find the true challenge. You will be a better persuader and a better negotiator. Well put. Well put. So many times you're spending your time spinning the wheels on something that is not even the problem. That uh, is just a total waste. Or you're assuming it's a problem, and it might not be. Yeah, good point. Good it point. might not even be. It is a problem in your mind, but maybe not in theirs. If you can ask the right questions and get to the heart of it, then it's much easier to negotiate. Yeah, how often is, is our own assumption the biggest hurdle in the negotiation? I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a negotiation just really nervous about, oh, they're not going to like this, or they're not going to like that. And I just confronted it, and it wasn't even an issue. Sailed right past it. It's amazing. It is. And that's why it's so important to be more aware of them, read their body language, be prepared, have different options. Maybe even realize they might have a better idea than you do versus coming in and treating it like a game and you're going to win. And that's when you get to that downward spiral. Fair enough.
Well, good points, Kurt. Thanks for covering that. Let's move on to our ninja. Cue the ninja sound. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> our ninja this week. And when I say his name, you will either know him and curse his name, or you will wonder who is this guy talking about. Our ninja this week is a Mr. Dong Nguyen from Hanoi, Vietnam, and he is the creator of the internet sensation game Flappy Bird that is on iTunes, it's on Windows and Android phones out there. And it is almost quite literally taken over the world. Okay. Guy released the game and it was a very short period of time. It was the number one downloaded app and it's a notoriously difficult game. And that's what's so frustrating about it is it, it looks like it should be really easy, but it's just horribly difficult. Or one of the app reviews said that uh, I would in a heartbeat sell my soul to Satan just to never have downloaded this app. <laughs> <laughs> Being facetious to a degree, but it was the number one downloaded app, and apparently this guy was getting all kinds of uh, threats and also requests for do this to the app, do that. It went completely nuts. And I have a quote from the Wall Street Journal about it because he ended up taking the app down. It's gone. You can no longer get Flappy Bird. So a quick uh, quote from the story gives you some perspective here as to why I think this guy is a ninja. At Flappy Bird, it's the game many people love to hate. Some players have jokingly suggested that Mr. Dong himself might be the devil, and his decision to take down the game from the store was greeted with both applause and mourning. In a bizarre tribute, some players listed their iPhones for sale on an internet auction site eBay, noting they were preloaded with Flappy Bird. One was listed for $134,000, although others are more modestly priced, with Flappy Bird mentioned as an additional inducement. To potential buyers. Some gaming industry observers were stunned that Mr. Dong would voluntarily kill off a game that at its peak was bringing $50,000 a day in advertising revenue. Speculation in recent days has been rife that removing the game was a publicity stunt to drum up interest in future games he is working on. So whether this guy is an accidental ninja or he's doing this on purpose, and he is, as many reviewers say, as Satan. <laughs> okay. He has uh, generated uh, untold publicity for himself by taking down this game. He's untold interest in his other apps. It is a textbook example of scarcity on a mass level. Any thoughts, Kurt? Well, yeah, you got a couple issues there. You got the scarcity, the urgency. People want it more. People didn't care before. Now, all of a sudden... It's scarce. You had the social validation where it was the number one download and people were wanting it, people were playing it. Whether he's Satan or not, you'll have to decide on that one. <laughs> and then the free press and the free PR that he's getting to whether it's going to promote the Flappy Birds 2 that's less satanic or the <laughs> other apps that he has. But either way, I'm pretty sure he did that on purpose. I doubt he had a conscious like, oh, this is hurting people. I'm sure he thought it through, mapped it out, and he's got some game plan to really use this publicity, this scarcity, this urgency, this social validation to really take his business to the next level and, of course, becoming the Persuasion Ninja. It's amazing. Yeah, he said he took down the game because it's, quote-unquote, too addictive. And uh, <laughs> I don't know that any listeners wouldn't mind having a bunch of prospects that are too addicted to your product. <laughs> yeah, let's see if Marble ever does that. Yeah, we're taking it down. It's too addictive. Yeah, I don't think that's <laughs> yeah. going to 
Don't think that's going to happen, but anyway. That's the 13th law of persuasion. Make your product addictive. Yeah, that's the easy persuasion. If it's addictive, free samples, it's done. That's easy persuasion right there. Yeah, that's a layup. So, yep, Mr. Dong Nguyen is the um, the persuasion ninja for the week with the internet sensation Flappy Bird. If you don't know what it is, you apparently, according to him, never will. But something tells me it will be back on the market soon enough. Yeah, something will happen. Yeah, something's got to. So, great. Anything else you want to add to uh, today's episode before we wrap it up, Kurt? The main thing is that I want you to take away, we talked about position versus problem, but it's important. Anytime you go into a persuasion, influence, negotiation situation, especially negotiation, persuade first. A lot of those points, a lot of those principles, you can persuade people to your point of view. That takes more skill than negotiation because there's the give, take, there's give, take. But there's a lot of principles, a lot of issues within that negotiation where you can persuade them to your point of view and you don't have to negotiate and you can save the other terms to negotiate later. Sounds good. Well, everybody, as usual, please send us your feedback, your comments, your insults to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com and check us out on iTunes and Windows Marketplace and all those other places that you get so tired of me mentioning. And I thought of this the other day. You know, we, we try to put our podcast on as many of these uh, syndication sources as we can, like Stitcher and, and whatever. But if we're missing something, if you're having to listen to this on the website and you're going, dang it, I, I download my podcast via this service or that service, and we don't have it, email me. We're happy to do what we can do to add it. We are uh, podcast novices, and we don't really know what we're doing on the technical side of podcasts, if you haven't discovered that yet. <laughs> <laughs> so... Just in the interest of full transparency. (laughs) Let us know. We'll make it right. That's exactly right. So go ahead, shoot us an email, maximizeyourinfluence at uh, gmail.com. We will be in touch with you next week for episode 30. You've hung with us for almost 30 episodes now, and we appreciate it. Have a good one. We will chat with you next week. See you next week. See you next week.